I'm Kyle Rode, and this is the Rebel HR Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Rebel HR is a podcast for HR professionals who are ready to make some disruption in the world of work. Follow us online on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, rebelhumanresources.com, or follow me on Twitter at Rebel HR Guy. All right, welcome listeners. I'm excited for our podcast today. We have two wonderful guests representing Apprenticeship America. Uh, we have Christian Gray. Yes, that Christian Gray and Sierra Marquardt uh, joining us today uh, from, from a, a fantastic organization helping us rethink how we bring people into organizations and look at training. So uh, to get started, Christian, why don't you just give me a little bit of an overview about Apprenticeship America and your organization's focus? Yeah, uh, so we started Apprenticeship America Really, uh, the idea started to formulate back in 2017, I believe. Uh, met here at the Iowa House of Representatives. I was clerking for a representative on the Education Committee, and she was working for an organization called IJAG. And it really, I mean, we both were in love with the program, what they do, and it's, you know, our conversations are stemmed around how do we expand this? How do we do this in every classroom? Um, and so a couple years later, we ended up starting it formally. And really, we're a workforce development company that is really trying to redefine school-to-work and adult education through new era apprenticeship programs. So not just your traditional trades, but we're talking software, accounting, uh, computer-aided design, um, really you know, traditional blue-collar and traditionally white-collar occupations. That's great. Sierra, what's your involvement with Apprenticeship America? So like Christian said, we met way back when. Um, and I remember we were talking about school and kind of his journey and my journey and how um, we kind of collided at a really cool time in our lives. And we were leaning over the rotunda at the state capitol, just dreaming about how we can impact the education system and how we can change how people think about learning in general. But then we started talking more about these non-traditional learners um, that are particularly impacted by uh, the JAG program, the Jobs for America's Graduates program, and then talking about, well, what does that look like on a larger scale, like Christian said. So we started talking theoretically, you know, just big picture, how could we change the attitude around training? And then Christian brought his love and understanding of apprenticeships, um, brought that to my attention. I'm like, oh, this could, this could, this could work. We can make something of this. So really changing how people view apprenticeships and how we talk about them um, is really going to hopefully help impact how we can talk about training as a whole. But my heart is just so full thinking about Christian's love of apprenticeships and understanding of that and then how we can reach those people who, again, are those non-traditional, quote unquote, but those typically labeled non-traditional learners. How can we give them access to the high quality training that they need to be the best uh, in this workforce? Um, so I guess I come in with the uh, understanding of the educational theory. Um, Christian and I make a great duo. He can talk and he is wonderful at understanding the policies and stuff. And I kind of bring the understanding of how and why we learn um, in, in regards to all different types of learners. So that's kind of how we uh, met up. I guess it's a long, long journey, Christian. We've known each other for, I'm going to say it was closer to 20 
like early, early 2017, maybe even late 2016. So we've been at this for a while, just brainstorming, and now it's it's finally happening, and here we are. It's, it's a blast. <laughs> it's a great time. <laughs> That's great. What do you tell an organization when you're when you're talking to them about what you do and they they make a comment along the lines of yeah we we do our own training in house and it and it's worked worked fine for years what what is your response to that kind of a reaction yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna let you take that one <laughs> the eye roll that i just gave you um just, i can hear it <laughs> i oh god it's it's loud today Um, But I think that this is something that Christian and I talk a lot about as being one of the biggest barriers to quality training and and possibly why people leave and and seeing low retention rates is that initial experience of training. There's a difference between subject matter experts, so people who are really good at their job and people who are really good at writing about how to do a job and creating that training and creating that experience. Because when you can create a positive experience in regards to onboarding, compliance training, whatever it may be, when you can create like a really wonderful learning environment, people are more open to understanding than the skills that they need. And sometimes there's a disconnect between those who do the work and do it really, really well, and those who are really great trainers, really great content writers, really great learning environment designers, And there's a disconnect between thinking that you know how to do the skill and knowing how to teach the skill. So when people say they do in-house training, it's usually met by a large eye roll and a from me, but then lots of follow up questions around, okay, how do you do it? Why do you do it? Who's responsible for it? What um, things do you have in place to make sure that they're retaining the information? So other than an eye roll, you're going to get lots and lots of questions from me. Um, and then typically Christian's giggling in the background because he knows that that's a loaded question um, and, and how I feel about that. I mean, I, I would extend on that um, <laughs> that response a little bit um, and say it's I mean, it's what employers are used to. It's how they were taught in education growing up. And so they it just expect I should be able to give you information and you're going to know how to do this job. And that's the problem we run into in K through 12 and even in a lot of uh, higher education is it's not just because you're exposed information. It's how that information is delivered and what you do with it is is what's lacking um, in so much of training. You can't just watch, you know, you to me and now you know how to be a, a welder um, so much more than that. Well, and what's that quote that's like, if you keep doing what you've always done and expect different results, that's a oh, definition yeah. of insanity. Of insanity. There it is. That quote is one of my most favorites because it's so true. We can't continue to do what we've always done and expect to create a different quality of workforce. We can't continue to give them manuals, sit them in a room and give them a test at the end and say, OK, now you are a certified electrician or whatever it is. We've got to change it up. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. And I'll I'll be honest, through my career, training and development has been one of those areas that, you know, it's it's really kind of thrown on HR's plate to run that portion of the business. But as I look at the actual technical skills that need to be trained, or I look at the um, trainer pool that I have, it it truly falls on the operations department to get somebody really where they need to be. 
And, you know, I view HR's role as as more of a, a, a gatekeeper for trying to find the best trainers and connect the best trainers to talent with the right skill set. But beyond that, if somebody were to ask me, okay, put together a, a position-based training program for a welder, I didn't go to school for that. <laughs> so how does your program help somebody connect those dots and, and start to deal with what's such a complex challenge? Yeah. So we really take a holistic approach and where, you know, I'm, I'm really an expert in the, in the policy and um, state and federal funding guidelines. Um, and that's where I really lean on Sierra, but we're able to take these uh, documents that are put together by the federal government called work process schedules and put together across the entire nation. And they're really training outlines, which is great in theory, but once you go to implement them and there's really no weight to those. And that's why these apprenticeships aren't more uh, widely spread throughout um, at least our country is because there's just not a lot of weight. It's sometimes just a front and backside paper of this is your apprenticeship program. And it's like, what am I supposed to do with that? So we use uh, serious knowledge of, you know, how training is supposed to be done, the who, what, and why, and when, and extrapolate all that of here's what you're going to do on day one as an apprentice. And then trainer, here's what you're going to be doing on day one. So really letting both parties know as well as providing that supplemental uh, related training instruction in an online environment. So we've got the theory online, and then we, for the application, both the apprentice and the trainer know what to do on a daily basis. I also feel pretty strongly about that relationship piece between Christian and I and whatever company or organization that we're working with. If we, you know, like Christian was saying, sometimes it's just a checklist of you need to get X amount of hours done and good luck to you. But when we work with those companies and organizations to figure out their skills gaps, what they're noticing in their own employees, maybe they like they like their welding done in a specific way or they um, when it comes to coding, maybe they use a tab or a double space. You know, the little nuances that each company uses when we can take that and tailor the information to them specifically, add their logo, add their mission statement to all of the content that we're using it allows not only them to feel heard and validated, but it allows those who are coming into their organization, into their company, their apprentices, apprentices, yeah, apprentices. that feels good, it allows them to begin to understand the culture of the company so that there's more buy-in, they feel um, more included in the process and, and uh, more part of the family as opposed to just sitting and doing their training, getting all their technical stuff done, getting a check, getting a sign-off, they're good. When we're able to do wraparound supports, um, like Christian mentioned, we're able to kind of hit on some of those things that the technical skills often miss out on. So I think the relationship piece is also a huge part of our focus in designing and developing and editing and, and packaging all of the content, knowing who we're serving and who we're doing this for is a huge piece of that. Let's take a step back and and maybe orientate some of our listeners. So the apprenticeship programs that you're talking about, are these the DOL registered apprenticeships? Okay. So what is that? If I'm an employer and I don't know anything about apprenticeships other than, you know, I read about it in a book one time that, you know, shoemakers used to be apprentices before they made shoes. Um, What, what does that mean? What is a DOL registered apprenticeship? What is, what does that get me? 
uh, if I implement one as a as a business leader? Yeah. So what it's going to bring you, uh, and I'm going to use it in terms of if we were helping a company do that, because, and, and this is why we exist, is because we're able to bring so much more value than what's currently out there um, to implement these apprenticeship programs. But once you have a DOL registered apprenticeship program, you are going to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for, legally eligible for all types of different sources of funding, um, state and federal workforce grants, Title I, Title IV uh, funding to really help your business um, train your workforce, um, to even do recruiting. Um, maybe you have someone you want to hire that might need um, cost uh, or help covering their housing costs, transportation, really any of those barriers to education, that's what we can utilize Title I and Title IV funding. So we're able to access, I just was looking at a statistic the other day, something about like 54% of students either don't go to college or drop out of college due to the high costs. And when you have so many different employers saying you need this college experience to apply for my job, well then right away, businesses only have access to 44% of the pool of applicants. So if we can increase that by creating that opportunity door at the front of that business, that's what you're getting as a Department of Labor registered apprenticeship program, as well as all the training resources you need. And eventually it doesn't actually cost you anything because of the workforce development grants we leverage. So it's, it's a little bit of work up front to structure the program and to build it, of course. Uh, but on the back end, then the idea is you've got an employee who sticks around mm-hmm. and the grants help cover the cost of the time and energy put into an apprenticeship structuring. Correct. Well, not only do you have an employee who sticks around, you have an employee who sticks around who is highly qualified, who is trained the way you wanted them to be trained, who knows what you want them to know, who is bought into your company's culture who is kind of ingrained into what you do and they also have all of the content knowledge that you wanted them to have. So it's, it's a win, win, win all the way around. Um, it's a really beautiful experience when it's pulled off and, and done right. Um, and the way that Christian describes all of the, the funding for it, it's, it's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible the work that can get done. Um, and to me, the, the piece that I get most excited about is that those workers, those employees that you now have in your company, yes, they know your skills and stuff, but they're a part of who you are. They've now been with you for two, three, four years to get that um, registered apprenticeship, that apprentice, master, craftsman, journeyman's license, whatever it is at the end of their apprenticeship. They've been with you for a while, um, but you get to learn alongside them and kind of help shape and mold them to be your ideal employee, as opposed to getting someone who did four years at the University of Minnesota and is now going to come down and work in Texas for you. And they have to do a whole cultural shift and they have to learn all of these little nuances through an apprenticeship. You kind of get to be a part of that process the whole way through so that at the end of it, they are a perfect fit for you, for your company. They're happier. They're well-trained. And it's just, again, just win, 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 win all the way around for everyone. (laughs) Yeah. And while it is, you know, it is a little bit of work up front. Um, I do like to talk about employers about a concept, um, the perpetual workforce wheel. Uh, after your first year, you get that apprenticeship set up and you have that person go through their first year. Well, guess who you're going to use to train the next person coming in? You're going to use that same 
perpetual workforce as someone goes from a level one apprentice to a level two, they're going to turn around and train level one, and you're just going to keep this cycle going. That's an interesting model. So you mentioned that there is some, you know, there's some grants available. Uh, what what different types of fundings are available for an employer that's listening to this and thinking, yeah, this makes perfect sense. What, how do I, you know, what is the benefit and how do I sell this to my organization? Yeah. Uh, so specifically, I'll speak to uh, Iowa, um, even though, because uh, it's a little bit different in every state on Everything trickles down from the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act. Uh, there's about 600 million out of that that just directly goes to adult education, um, which can, and then it goes to about 260 million of that is specifically to apprenticeships. And the states um, are able to distribute that how they want. So Iowa, it's through the IEDA, it's 15B and 15C are the actual workforce development grants. And then once you have a DOL apprenticeship, you then get access to the federal money um, being on what's called the eligible training provider list, um, Title I and Title IV. Uh, so we have in Iowa here um, a budget of about 25000 for the first year and then up to 9000 a year for every year that you have a registered apprenticeship program. And it sounds like a lot. Um, and that's where we come in to really just make this entire process turnkey. So I really try to do my best not to overwhelm people with the grants um, just say, I handle everything. Don't worry about it. Just know this isn't going to cost you a dime in the end, and it's going to be 150% ROI. So you hit the easy button, yes. and that's where your organization comes in. Yes. It's, <laughs> it's taken a few years for me to learn these grants, so I can't expect to explain it in a conversation. <laughs> um, I have apprentices, apprentice whatever we want to call them. <laughs> um, in a few of my locations, actually none in Iowa, but I have some in uh, in Michigan and North Carolina. And the, mm-hmm. yeah, you're absolutely right. The grant programs are significantly different depending upon which region we do it in. But our experience has been uh, exactly what you described, where we've got individuals that it's very structured program up front. Uh, what we have found is that we've got people who have become very conscientious because of the structure. And they have become more structured in their actual job performance, which from a manufacturing perspective is ideal. And then at the end of the day, it's essentially free because the the education components being taken care of through a grant, we are getting a grant. And then the other aspect that I look at it is the, the community relations win to, to go out and grab talent that may or may not have an interest in pursuing a four-year degree and put them into an opportunity to learn, A, if this is what they want to do for the rest of their life, and and B, learn a trade or a skill that they can leverage and continue to grow within an organization. We have a, we have a huge need for that around uh, America right now. So, um, yeah, if any employers are listening out there and they're wondering about the validity or the, the benefit of an apprentice, I strongly encourage you to, to, to learn more and the other myth that I will dispel is it's it's it it does look like a lot of work up front. It's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of bureaucracy uh, simply because it's a DOL thing and everything uh-huh. related to the DOL is bureaucratic. <laughs> so that's that's what they do well. So um, it's great to hear that you guys are helping people through that and helping them navigate the challenge because it it truly is a little bit mind-boggling. I, I honestly mm-hmm. I can't fit all of the workflows in my head. I I still don't understand it. I just 
I let the experts tell me what, what I need to fill out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we actually, I would even take it up a notch of saying, it's not necessarily walking them through it. We, I, I handle the entire process. Um, mm-hmm. We're the program sponsor, so I fill out all the paperwork. I just need to know business EIN and get one signature at the end from either the head of HR or the company owner, depending on the size of the company, and we're good to go. All right, so what's the catch? It sounds too easy. <laughs> <laughs> I asked him the same thing, Kyle, when we first started talking about this. I was like, okay, what what are you not telling me, Christian? I, I have been trying to find the catch um, and disprove this. Um, I've, had, I've been lucky to have some pretty phenomenal uh, business startup mentors. And every day I'm trying to ask myself, what's the venture killing question here? I have been, I've talked to the head of the, I've talked to people at the Federal Department of Labor, um, Iowa Department of Labor, um, Office of Apprenticeship. Um, No one is really approaching apprenticeships the way we are. Um, By making the company its own training provider, um, providing online education. Um, So there's a lot of, we're asking a lot of new questions and we're like, can we do this? And they're like, well, you can't not do it, so yes. So I'm all about that, and, and that really just allows us to listen to the needs of businesses and create um, create a program that fits not only the needs and logistics that you need um, to have a sustaining, you know, profitable company, but also what are the needs of your learner? Um, mm-hmm. And this is exactly what I spoke about at the Disrupt HR was the employee model canvas of. What are the needs of the business? What are the needs of the uh, potential employee? How do we make those meet? And you're going to create your ideal employee avatar through that. Um, so yeah, that, there's, there's there's no catch. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first time somebody used the term avatar on this podcast. So congratulations. <laughs> cool buzzword. <laughs> so Sierra, I want to dig in a little bit to some of the comments you made earlier because um, mm-hmm. I think that. Uh, they could be helpful for our, our listeners. So you started to get into how and why we learn. Um, so a, as you look at the structure of this type of a training program, how does that work on the on the human level for somebody that's trying to learn a new task or something that's unfamiliar to them? Why does this work? It works because it reaches all types of learners. There are people who can read it once and they got it. There are people who need to do things hands-on. There are people who need to watch people do it. So when we are able to take the content that's out there, whether it's videos, whether it's um, the -the on-the-job training pieces, and kind of make it all one cohesive unit, regardless of your learning style, you're going to get the information you need. It goes back to universal design of learning theory, and it talks about meeting your learners where they're at and providing them multiple opportunities to take in information, to practice information, to show what they know. So by being intentional and putting in all those different types of interactions within the content, within the um, on the job training, within the instructor-led training, the computer-based training, and every little piece that we do, when we take the time to design and to insert different types of levels of engagement, different levels of action and expression, different levels of representation, we're able to meet everyone wherever they're at in whatever way makes the most sense for them. And creating that space that's highly adaptable just allows everyone to get their needs met 
and then also show what they know in a way that makes the most sense. And in apprenticeships in particular, that piece is going to be so crucial. It's that show what you know piece. Because again, it's great if you can understand and you know all of the, the buzzwords and you can give me all the definitions, but until you're showing that application piece, that's where the, the real learning and the understanding comes. So when we're able to provide all of those different ways to learn and to understand and to practice, it's very fulfilling for everyone. Um, and I know that that sounds crazy and it's probably um, a roundabout answer for you, but it truly is all about meeting people where they're at in whatever way makes the most sense to them. Well, you're, you're bursting my bubble because you know I make a really great PowerPoint slide and people mm. tell me they love it. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! PowerPoint. Hey, PowerPoint is a beautiful tool, as long as it's not the only tool that you're using. I'm, I use PowerPoint in just about everything I do, but there's also typically like paper airplanes, some physical movement that we got to be doing, lots of music. Oh yeah, po- I'm not hating on PowerPoint, as long as we're doing other things. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the HR go-to, right? That's it like, is. Oh, employee update. Let's put. Let's do a PowerPoint. Everybody loves this. White screen, black text. Oh man, Kyle, killing me. Hey, it's the easy button, right? It, it, it is. You're it's not what, wrong. You're not that's wrong. What we do. It's what we learn to do in school. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, really interesting to study uh, what other companies are doing, and so um, I'm sure you're aware. Amazon actually banned powerpoint i'm here Um, for that snaps all the way around you're you're in on that deal huh yes (laughs) i think it's really interesting and one of the areas that i think is relatively unexplored as it relates to hr and training is the fact that there's such vast differences not only between types of learners but also between uh, the demographics of learners as well the way that you train somebody who just came out of high school uh, probably needs to be different than the way that you would train somebody who's been doing a job for 30 years and is now learning a new skill. So can you walk me through what some of those differences might look like? How would you approach uh, your your audience depending upon uh, their differences? Absolutely. And this is something that K-12 teachers are really good at. K-12 teachers have to teach to not just age differences, obviously they're teaching fifth grade or they're teaching sixth grade, but what our students and what our learners bring into the classroom is so vastly different. Um, Their experiences, their home life. This is again why I think Chris and I both love the JAG program is because they take into consideration everything that those students, those learners, those participants are bringing in with them. So when you get to adult learning theory and you start talking about having to train that 19-year-old who is learning the same skill as your um, 55-year-old, 30-year seasoned veteran, um, having them in the same room, teaching them the same content, trying to deliver the same content in the same way, it's not going to work. The way that I would go about doing that is starting by setting the tone of, hey, we are all new at this particular skill. So what outside knowledge do you have that would benefit us the whole the team talking about it as like a cohesive unit what outside knowledge do you have that you can bring in that will help us learn together 
um, what skills do you have that's going to make this easier or more difficult for you? I think that when it comes to training, um, I'm thinking particularly in like instructor-led training. So when you're face-to-face -face with the training group, setting the tone of like, hey, what's up? What's your experience? Where are you from? What's your story? Kind of getting a little bit of a background um, is a great place to start. But then in regards to actually delivering the content, I feel very strongly about group work and reflection and discussion-based um, training. So pairing those two people up. So if you're in a room with a bunch of people, maybe pairing your most seasoned veteran with the, the, the young gun freshly out of school um, to allow them the space to ask questions, to share that knowledge, um, but also being very vocal about the fact that there are going to be some serious differences, and that's okay. Um, that's what makes our workforce more well-rounded. That's where we're going to, um, yes, experience some growing pains because um, I'm faster at responding to text messages than my dad is. But that's not good or bad. Both are valid. Both are both have a, serve a purpose. Um, me responding quickly is because I'm typically on my phone. My dad responding slower is because he's typically uh, better at being present and in the moment. So validating those differences, calling them out when we see them, and then using them to learn from each other um, to create a more not only inclusive, but like challenging environment where we feel comfortable um, calling each other out and asking for help. It takes a little bit more time to do that um, and you have to create that space of trust, but I think it all goes down to company culture and like what kind of environment are you wanting to create, but being able to leverage those different levels of knowledge um, is super fun and it creates some really awesome experiences and really um, authentic relationships and some very natural mentoring opportunities. Yeah, it's mentor-mentee mm -hmm. uh, and setting expectations for both parties to have understanding of where each each other is coming from. Um, just open communication. But sometimes I worry that when you get into an environment where everyone immediately turns to that either older or more experienced person as the mentor, there's a huge Oh, yeah. huge missed opportunity there because that student, that young gun has a different way of thinking. They have a different experience. They have a different skill set. It's not better or worse. It's just different. So when we immediately turn to that older person or that more experienced person as a mentor, um, I think that we miss out on a lot. So just being very mindful of there are going to be times when you're going to be learning from someone who is fresh out of whatever or is only 17 or whatever the case may be so just again like christian said open communication and calling it out at the beginning that in this particular skill that we're learning in this particular training that we're going through everyone in this room is a novice and calling that out and and just being again vocal and open to the different types of learning that are going to happen in that room or in that um, online environment or whatever the situation may be but just calling it out, open communication, and then creating the space where everyone feels comfortable to um, experience new learning situations. Great. So Christian, what led you to feel like this was the path that you wanted to go down? How did What prompted you to start this and where, where did that idea come from? Uh, well, I've always been frustrated with education um, from a very young age. Um, I was fortunate enough to, um, not by any means a wealthy family, I'm one of seven kids, um, so I was homeschooled, and that really gave me a fantastic foundation to explore who I was as a person, 
And when your mom is your teacher, you know, your biggest fan, she's going to encourage you to go do whatever you want because you have no boundaries uh, because I'm your mom and I'm going to encourage it. So fantastic education up till about uh, seventh grade when I transitioned into public school. Um, I was well homeschooled. I did. I was excelled in math and science. I always wanted to be an engineer. Um, I really wanted to be a Mythbuster from the Discovery Channel. <laughs> Uh, so that was my dream of growing up. So I was always working hard at math and science. I was doing two grade levels ahead until I got to public school where I had to be put with my age group and not my skill level. And from then on, I was just really disengaged, but still prepared my entire life to be this mechanical engineer. I was going to Iowa State University, ROTC, Army Corps of Engineers, and then I was going to go be a TV personality um, with engineering. Then I finally job shadowed an engineer the spring of my senior year, right before graduation. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. Like, I, I, too much of a people person and not knocking engineers at all, um, but I need to be active, moving around, speaking, working with people and kids. And I was just, like, oh my gosh, I just uh, basically I just feel lost. Um, no idea what I'm doing with my life anymore. If I would have been exposed to being an engineer much earlier in life um, as a freshman, I could rethink things and probably have avoided a lot of pain, um, mentally, mental pain of not knowing what the heck I'm doing. Um, and then getting to college, I uh, went to University of Northern Iowa for a year, I uh, realized so many people have that same issue of I have no idea why I'm here and I'm going to pay 25 grand or more to figure it out. Um, and I just could not get on board with that. Um, so I ended up dropping out uh, sophomore year and just started to learn as much as I could about K through 12. Ended up figuring out that wasn't the greatest approach just due to bureaucracy of you know, if I want to change K through 12, um, I really need to start at the top. And that's helping businesses. That's where the money comes from. Businesses influence policy. It's where the money flows. So if we want to change the way K through 12 is done, we need to change the way businesses view education and training. Um, really, you know, project-based learning, work-based learning, and get employers involved in education much earlier in life. So that's why I'm obsessed with the JAG program, because if I was 14... <laughs> In high school, and I had an employer come in and tell me what engineering was like, I would have totally changed the trajectory of my life. But I love where I'm at, so I can't say I would do it any different. Um, I just think there's some mistakes that could have been avoided. I'm still trying to figure out what I want, want to do when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's such a common story, but in like in, in human resources, like I, human resources wasn't even an option for me when I was going to college. I I was actually a business major in, in marketing, of all things, mm. and I got this job because it just randomly happened to be open at the company that I got a job at right when I graduated college. So went went and worked in human resources, and, uh, you know, I fortunately I had a knack for it, and I learned to love it. <laughs> But <laughs> always fun, right? Um, but no, I think that's I think that's great. And you know, I think from from my perspective, what spoke to me is the fact that that connection between an employer mm-hmm. and a potential employee and a student early is so critical 
uh, because most kids just plan to do whatever their parents are going to do mm-hmm. or plan to do the opposite of what their parents do because their parents are miserable, <laughs> right? Like yep. the exposure to what's out there is is so critical. And then I think the other aspect, which is what I think is really cool about this program, is the fact that the jobs that exist today didn't exist when many of us were in K through 12. Who is your target apprentice? Who do you work with? Where do you start as you're looking at making a connection to a job for an employer? So with an apprenticeship, you're really hiring based on potential and not on credentials. Uh, Existing credentials kind of defeats the whole purpose of an apprenticeship is you're (laughs) going to learn those credentials. So this kind of brings in the conversation of a pre-apprenticeship program which is where we come in and develop that training to really get the interest of a potential apprentice. So the apprentice is coming to the business and not necessarily the business looking for the apprentice. Where, you know, our dream here is to be able to have um, our website as a resource for local schools and counselors to be like, hey, if you're looking to be a, a welder or software developer, Go to this website and they're going to show you all of the local businesses who are hiring and have apprenticeship programs. And you can go take an hour long course to gain some basic knowledge and understanding of what it's like to work at that company. And then if you complete that course, then the employer knows that they should reach out to you because you're interested and they can help foster that relationship and really start to bring you in there. It's really set up to to be a marketing piece for that company. And so they don't necessarily have to go out and look or do their own recruiting. They, we should be able to articulate the job and opportunity well enough to where people are inspired to come work at the company. So you're kind of flipping the script on recruiting, where mm-hmm. we go out and we try to figure out, okay, who has the qualifications, and I'm going to hire that. You're you're putting the search in the hands of the candidate to go find the companies that they think would be a good match. Empower the people. Empower the people. Yep. I like that. <laughs> We just got our headline, a little quote. Empower hey, the, the, the title of this podcast, Empower the People. You know, empowerment. Employee empowerment is one of my favorite terms. It's an alliteration. Yeah, well, that too, I like that. But I actually like it because for me, when I hear employee empowerment, that means get somebody to do something that I don't want to do. So mm. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm going to empower that. I'm driving the human behavior that you're after. Right, right. <laughs> incentives. It's We're all lazy and all at heart. Right? 100%. <laughs> I'm going to empower you to take on this project. Yay. I really don't want to do this project. <laughs> but I'm going to get you excited about it. Yeah. We're going to motivate and inspire. And, and you know yes. what? It's going to be a great developmental opportunity. This is what I do. This is what I do. Buzzwords. Oh, really, you're good at it. Because I'm, I'm bought in. Whatever you're doing, I'll do that project. Sold. Sold. <laughs> Yeah, my other favorite is developmental opportunity, which is a great mm. way for saying this is really going to suck. Yep. <laughs> yep. Opportunity for growth. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I grew up in that, right? I mean, I you know, I yes. grew up in the in the uh, early 2000s working for Target using the GE model and ev- there was no problems, there was only opportunities and yep. yeah, it's it just gets ingrained in you. That was my apprenticeship. <laughs> Unintended apprenticeship. So you talked about something. I'd like to dig into this term a little bit because I think that words and labels matter uh, really critically, especially as we're talking about 
human uh, interaction and training, and uh, the word is potential. So how do you identify potential, and, and what is the definition of potential for your organization? Potential, to me, is about initiative. If you have someone who takes the initiative upon themselves to be a self-starter, and they will help themselves, I think that is a lot, uh, some basic human traits that we don't see a lot today. And if we can inspire through, you know, I mean, through marketing for people to take a course, to learn a little bit more, and then here are the next steps without adding any hoops or barriers, to me, that shows the potential. If they're willing to change their life, even by an hour, it is astounding how many people won't even complete an hour-long course. But now that we have you know, they know why they're completing that course. Um, that's going to drive the behavior that we want. And that's going to be the type of person a business is going to want to hire. So we just talk about rightly aligning human incentives um, is really what we're trying to do. I think to me, this potential piece is everyone has potential. Everyone has the potential to be great, to do wonderful, amazing things. But oftentimes, um, either by society or, or by ourselves or by our family, we're, we're painted into a box of here's what you need to do. Here's what you're good at. Here's how it looks. Here's what um, here's the steps you need to take to get here. Here's the degree that you need to get. We're so often painted into that box that we might not be being our most authentic self and truly following what we are passionate about and, and where we feel the most comfortable. And to me, that's where the potential is, is breaking down those barriers to being your most authentic self and finding out what you love to do, what you're naturally good at, and having the space to do that um, and learn about those skills and a job at the end of that. It's so beautiful. So for me, potential is, is yes, within everyone. But like Christian was saying, it's that that first piece of going out and, and taking one step, even if it is just that hour or whatever it is. But I think that when we can remove all of the gunk um, that's in the way of us exploring different options and going that quote unquote non-traditional path of not going to college. And I really hate using the term non-traditional. It's just different. Um, but going in a path that makes the most sense to you when we can remove the stigma from that and allow everyone to be their, their truest self and do what they're good at. That's when that true potential comes and they feel confident enough to take that that first step of that hour long introduction to um, winemaking, because that's an apprenticeable occupation. Mm -hmm. That's fun. You know, maybe that's going to be my encore career and go <laughs> get my journey in winemaking. But I think that when we can change the discussion around how and why we do what we do and allow people to be true to who they are and what they want to do, that's when that initiative kicks in and that's when they are, are reaching their full potential because there's nothing in the way of them living their best life. Living their best life Amen. in a vineyard. <laughs> yes. Right. This is sounding better and better. Hey, this is, uh, yeah. Sign me up. The way 2020 is mm -hmm. going, that just sounds great. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love the comment on labeling it non-traditional because isn't it ironic that apprenticeships are one of the most traditional forms of education that exist in everywhere but here society 
Well, and just the longevity of it, the history of apprenticeships. This was how people learned to do their job before, quote unquote, traditional education was a thing. You went and you shadowed and you learned the skills and your shoemaker analogy at the beginning. Yes, people learned how to make shoes by watching people make shoes and learning alongside them. And monkey see, monkey do. Non-traditional. <laughs> In my world of manufacturing, we are doing this. We are essentially doing an apprenticeship model because most of what we do is shadow a job, try the job, and you know, prove to me you can do it. Uh, <laughs> but what we don't have is uh, a really great structure around it a lot of times, or we have a trainer who's not thrilled to be a trainer, or you know, we have a, a job that isn't documented well enough that we can actually show somebody how to do it correctly and we set somebody up for failure this just makes a, a lot of sense for me and and i think a lot of our listeners will will agree yeah i think there's far more businesses out there that are doing apprenticeships um, an internship very similar what we really want to help do is you know maybe that internship or your undocumented apprenticeship is is working but is it working at 50% efficiency. Mm-hmm. So we really would love to work with those employers who are already starting to do that. Come in, let's optimize that, and let's bring some state and federal funding to really help cover the costs. What is your favorite story of somebody that your organization has helped succeed? We are able to help K-Park Manufacturing, if you're listening. Love you guys. To set up a welding apprenticeship program for them and uh, give his daughter, the owner's daughter, actually the opportunity to go through their welding apprenticeship. And now they have their second person going through it as well. So, I mean, the first one, I still near and dear to my heart, that first apprenticeship, but know that we're utilizing it as a system now. And it doesn't was a one-time thing, but just giving those people that opportunity to increase their, you know, it's not always about money, but not having it is, uh, whatever that Kanye West quote is, um, <laughs> to raise people's financial uh, ability and just allows them to do more things in life, relieve stress. Um, I'm all about that. Um, it's not the greatest answer to my favorite story, but the first one is just always the best to me. Hey, you dropped Kanye, man. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> 2020, man. Relevant. Good to be relevant, Christian. <laughs> Sierra, what what is your uh, favorite story? So mine is about a particular young man who actually went to the high school that I coach cheerleading at, and so I got to see this young man kind of grow up. I've known him for three, four years. He um, struggled in school, didn't love it. Um, good, smart kid. But when he graduated, he didn't really know what he wanted to do. So he just did some odd jobs here and there. And then we connected him with sheet fitting. Is that what it's called? That's a thing, right? Sheet fitting? Cool. I think that's what it is. Pipe fitting? Uh, No, it's um, when they make HVAC stuff. Oh. Okay. Got it. But we connected with him with a particular person in that company who – had a similar story, shared um, similar backgrounds, and connected him. And to watch that young man grow as a human, the way that he changed, the way that he talked about himself, the way that he carried himself was so 
wonderful to just watch that personal development um, that was brought on by the connection that he had with the person who was delivering his apprenticeship. His trainer was such a good role model for him because like Christian said, the people that we work with, the people that we love, the people that I think we're called to want to help. They want to do good. They want to remove these barriers and provide these opportunities to the people who need them the most. And to watch that young man change from someone who didn't know what he was doing to now modeling the same behaviors that this very successful man was doing to change the way that he talked about what he did to see the little spark in his eye when he was talking about his day at work. It was just so powerful to see him start an apprenticeship and just not only learn the skills that he needed because yeah, that's great. They're transferable. He can go now anywhere he wants and do, um, and do this and get paid well to do it. But the transformation of, of him as a human was just so beautiful. And he fits so wonderfully into that company culture. And it's just, to me, that will forever be one of my most favorite things that's brought on by um, apprenticeship programs because they're long-term. You have to invest in the person. You can't just teach them the skills. You have to have some sort of tie to them. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And when it's done well, it has just this beautiful end product of a human who has the skills that they need to be successful to grow, to get where they want to be in life. But they also learn some other things along the way of just, you know, growing and maturing and having that positive role model, both inside and outside of work has been, it's just wonderful. It makes my heart all warm and fuzzy to think about where that kid was and now where he is as a young man and the skills that he's learned and preach. Yes. It's just, I love it. Amen. <laughs> It's my favorite. That's awesome. All right, guys. Well, we are at time. How can our listeners connect with you after this podcast? Shoot me an email or hit me up on the Twitter, um, as you gracefully put out there. <laughs> at um, Real Christian Gray. At Real, Real Christian, Christian Gray. Christian at com. Don't send me any DMs. <laughs> Maybe young, but not that. Not into it. We're not that hip. <laughs> <laughs> you had the fortuitous luck of being named Christian Gray many years before that was the thing. Yep. <laughs> Count my blessings. I had I had to go there. I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. You can't not. It's, it's an everyday occurrence. Slam dunk. <laughs> that's that's great. Great story, guys. A fantastic organization. We'll have all of the information in the show notes. Uh, check it out. Uh, really appreciated the conversation today. I think that we covered some really helpful ground for our listeners, and you guys are doing great things. Thank you. Appreciate for your time, us. Kyle. Thanks, Kyle. Thank you. All right, that does it for the Rebel HR podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. Views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations. No one else. Baby.